Amen. You can be seated. A couple of things real quickly. I want to thank many of you for being at our uh, open hangar yesterday, the Agape Flights. I was so appreciative as I looked out over the crowd and saw uh, hundreds of folks, but many of those being very familiar faces, and thank you for being there. I hope you enjoyed the pizza and the pie and the good time, and Pastor Rudy, uh, our pastor from Freeport, Bahamas, was there. Uh, he was getting on a two-seat experimental plane this morning, uh, going to Fort Lauderdale, flying at about 250 knots, and so he was going to ride the storm today and have a good time and then get on a commercial flight from Fort Lauderdale. Also, I want you to be praying that, you know, next Sunday is, is a really important Sunday in the life of this church at 6 o'clock. The transition team will be having another roundtable meeting. I want to encourage you to be there, every person. I was so encouraged as I walked up in the, in the third story. I walked back and heard, uh, I, I heard the most beautiful music being sung out of a Sunday school class. And I walked in that Sunday school class, and it was, it was our Hispanic class. And they were, it was heavenly music. And I just walked in and just sat and worshiped. It was wonderful. And then I, I just said, I need you all there. I need everybody there. So I'm going to encourage you, every person within the listening of my voice right now, will you be there next Sunday at 6 o'clock? You're making a commitment to your transitional pastor right now. If you will, I want you to raise your hand. Come on now, folks. Come on. It's got to be unanimous. Okay, all of you are going to be there. Good, good, good. I need you there. And we need you there, and you need to be there. Last but not least, be praying for your deacon ministry. Friday and Saturday, I'm going to be uh, retreating with them. We're going to be retreating at the home of Tim and, and Ann Newby. And I appreciate them hosting our retreat, but we're going to be uh, using some training material. The deacon, uh, I want to be, and it's growing in faith, faithful in service. And, and I'm looking forward. A majority of our deacons are going to... Uh, be a part of that, our active deacons, and I'm excited about the opportunity to, to be able to retreat and train and minister with them. If you've got your Bibles this morning, let's go to Galatians chapter 2. I'm uh, excited about this message, somewhat, um, uh, somewhat hesitant, though, because this is one of those passages of Scripture that oftentimes we like to avoid. Preachers sometimes find a passage of Scripture that they like to avoid, and to be real candid with you, this is one of those passages, but you know, when you preach verse by verse through a book, you cannot avoid a passage, because somebody's going to say, why didn't you preach on that? Did you not understand it, or was it too high for you, or what, what was it? Well, I, in case you have not realized it, the Apostle Paul was in no way a politician. <laughs> you picked up on that? I mean, when, when he stood in Peter's face, in this particular passage that we're going to look at, he is not going to mince any words. In fact, I think it would probably be good if I just read it for you, and then you could go, wow, what in the world happened to Paul? Verse 11, chapter 2. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, 
that is Peter, in the presence of all, if you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like the Jews? We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. But if, while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Wow. When he stood in Peter's face, he did not mince words, did he? He did not, it, it did not matter what whether it was politically correct, he wanted to stand on what was biblically correct. You see, it's so interesting in our day when somebody makes a stand, people think they are arrogant. It's interesting how even in the day of relativism that we, that we live in, uh, of no absolutes, I, I will determine you know, what is absolute or not in that kind of wishy-washy culture that we live in, we see somebody that has conviction, somebody that has resolve, and the best way in the world to get around it and not have to deal with what they are saying is just to say they're arrogant. The Apostle Paul would have fit into that same type of thing, a man that did not mince words, a man that when he said something, it had been thought through, it had been prayed through. He is deeply convicted about the gospel of grace. I am deeply convicted about the gospel of grace. There is no doubt whatsoever about Paul's heart when it comes to, to communicating this grace and this gospel. He is convicted of the freedom that it, it offers and has offered him, and he has experienced it. And he is aware of the dangers of this performance mentality, what religion does to rob a person of this joy that they can have in walking in a daily relationship with Jesus Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, I am not interested in making you religious I don't even want you to be religious. I, if you were, I don't want to hang out with you. I want you to be people who walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, who follow him, who know him. And so this is why Paul stands in the face of Peter. This is why he rebukes him the way he does, because he is a man of conviction. He is a man of resolve. He has seen that Peter now has compromised the message of the gospel. And if you will review with me for just a moment, this same man, if you remember over in the Jerusalem council that we talked about, sang a whole different song. He took Titus with him and Barnabas. He went in there, Paul did, to see the big three, Peter, James, and John. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is enough for me. Amen. He is enough. I want you to turn to your, your, your friend next to you and say, Jesus is enough. 
Faith alone in Christ alone is sufficient for salvation and sanctification. Amen? Amen. And they said this in, this is the same message we preach. If you remember over at the Jerusalem Council, we talked about it. But now in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, Peter's gotten out of his comfort zone. And he came down over to Antioch, and Antioch was a Gentile area. And when he came over there, there was, that's when the confrontation took place. Now, we found out how weak Simon Peter could be when certain people were around him, how wishy-washy he could be on the message of grace when it threatened his reputation. Look at verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. I got right up in his face, and I rebuked him because he stood condemned. The word condemned there in the Greek language means guilty. He was guilty. What was he guilty of? Well, for prior, look at verse 12, coming to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. He would sit down and, and eat with them. But when they came, this particular group of men that came, they were known as Judaizers from James. When they came, the Bible says he began to withdraw himself and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. You see, Peter could not take the pressure of these Judaizers coming around him. And when they went over to Antioch, the Bible says Peter withdrew himself, and then it says something very important. He held himself aloof. The word withdrew means he hid intentionally. He did not want to be seen with these Gentiles with whom he had been fellowshipping with and eating. He'd been eating with them. He'd been fellowshipping with them. But now these, these men come in known as Judaizers. And so he was hiding because of those Judaizers. And then he, it says this. When it says he held himself aloof, that means he drew a line and said, I do not want to fellowship with you anymore. I do not even know who you are. Get away from me. And he refused any kind of fellowship, any kind of association. Why? Because these people that had come among them were the same people that had criticized Paul and attacked him and tried to ruin his reputation. And Peter knew the power that they would have over him. He feared what they might do or say. Peter is a coward. Now, who is it, lest you get so mean on Peter that causes you to do the same thing. You are living in the freedom of Jesus. You need to get up and start your day saying this, Lord, I can't. I can't live this supernatural life in my own strength. You never said, you never said I could in and of myself, but you can and you always said you would. I believe it was Major Ian Thomas that said that. I can't. He never said I could. He can. He always said he would. You begin to experience his love and joy and peace until someone comes around you. And that someone with whom maybe you work, or maybe it's someone, a family member, maybe it's someone, a church member, maybe it's someone, and, and suddenly you feel like, I've got to do something to earn their affirmation and be pleasing with them. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not going to preach to you something that I have never experienced because much of my ministry life, much of my ministry life, even in the pastorate, when I served as a student pastor and as a worship pastor, but even as a senior pastor, much of my ministry life, I would go home and be so depressed because I didn't feel like I'd please the people. 
I needed the affirmation of the people, but it was not until uh, June of 2012 where I began to really search Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Not I, but Christ that lives in me. And I began to find out that Jesus is enough. I don't need the affirmation. Do I like people? I love people. You all know that. I love you. I want to be affirmed by you. But listen to me. My affirmation does not come from you. It comes from the Lord. Because I know now who I am. And I know the freedom that I get to live in. And so there are three things that I want to suggest to you this morning. In this passage of Scripture, only three. I could give you five, but I'll only give you three. First of all, look at Paul's stern opposition. And when you go into the text, you've got to understand something. There is no time in the Christian life that we are ever, I want you to hear me, no time that we are ever to get in a brother or a sister's face and rebuke them in a fleshly manner over a difference of personal opinion. Can I get an amen? amen. Ladies and gentlemen, that should not be. If you've got an opinion, great. If I've got a different opinion, great. Does not mean that we cannot get along. Does not mean that we cannot agree to disagree. We can't. But nowhere in Scripture... No, sir, nowhere in Scripture, that is pure flesh. It may originate from our being anxious. It may come out of pressure that someone has put on us. But before God, we never have the right to do that. And I'm going to tell you, a pastor never has a right to do that. A church member never has a right to do that. A deacon never has a right to do that. No one has the right to do that. We are always to have the character of Jesus and the gentleness of Christ should mark us as walking in the Spirit. Have I ever felt like doing that? Have I ever done that? I have. And I was wrong. And I had to publicly apologize for it. And I had to personally apologize for it. There are times, let me tell you, there are times when I've wanted to lay hands on some church members. <laughs> and do more than pray. <laughs> I had a staff member one time with whom I worked in. He had the gift of dissension. I believe he woke up every morning wondering, whose life can I make miserable today? And he always had used that scripture out of Ephesians saying that we must speak the truth in love. <laughs> he used that as an, as, an excuse, as an excuse to brutally bash another brother. And by the way, that, that passage in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, I believe, has nothing to do with that kind of behavior. The context of that is the pastor's teaching is equipping the body for the unity of faith and to equip them to do the work of ministry. But Paul is talking about what he's talking about here. He's, he's saying, I want you to speak the truth, which uses a definite article in the Greek language, which refers to the word of God. When you speak the word of God, it has to be couched in the love of the spirit or it cannot be received into people's hearts. It does not mean you can walk up and brutally bash somebody's whole existence by telling them the truth in love. We never have that. If you ever find somebody who's brutal in that way, who is just mean-spirited, and let me tell you, in churches there are people like that. You have someone who is not walking in the Spirit and has not a clue what grace is all about. But that is not what is going on here in Galatians 2 at all. In fact, it is an exceptional situation. If, if you ever see what is happening with, between Paul 
Paul and Peter in Galatians 2, it will be the exception, never the rule. So this is a time when, when a man, Peter, had great influence, and he had compromised the message of grace. Now, you have to understand Peter is an apostle, and he has done a deplorable act and has compromised this entire message of grace, and others have given in, and they're already being affected. Peter is a, le- a leader, and if the message of grace is in any way threatened, someone must take a stand, and that's what Paul did. The Word of God had to be defended. Paul could not let time pass without a confrontation, but it, he had to take a stand so that others who were being influenced by this, this, this dereliction and duty would know that Peter had fallen into error and had stepped away from the truth of the message of grace. Look at verse 12. A little bit redundant, but I want you to get the flow of it. For prior to coming, the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, these men of circumcision, these Judaizers, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof. Why? Because he feared the party of the circumcision what they could do to him, what they could do to his reputation. The fact that these men came posing as men from from James is really not a surprise at all. What is surprising is how Peter responded. And when he responds, then guess what? He's a leader. Others respond. This is the thing about Simon Peter. If he's going to do it wrong, he's going to do it 100% wrong. I always say about Simon Peter, I'm, I'm so much like him in many ways. Simon Peter loved the taste of sock. He was always sticking his foot in his mouth. I mean, he was always doing crazy things. Oh, listen to me. Sometimes oh, my wife will say, what in the world? Why did you say that? Because I wasn't you. Because I thought it was right. No, I usually don't smart off like that, but... Yeah, John said, hmm. <laughs> Here's what happens. Look at verse 13. Peter stepped aside, and guess what he did? He drew a line. He drew a line in the sand. Ladies and gentlemen, it's so dangerous when he does that. He has not said anything, or at least the Scripture does not tell us, but his actions contradict the gospel of grace for which he had stood in Jerusalem. The rest of the Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, and that fact emphasizes that he was a leader. That's why a pastor, if he's what he's called to be, is a leader. Because people, listen to me, folks, you need to follow your pastor. You need to love him. Will he make mistakes? Yes. But a pastor has to stay on his face before God. He has to stay in touch with Jesus. His devotional life, his life in in Christ must be where it's supposed to be because people are following us. And when Peter defected, they defected with him. The word hypocrisy, by the way, is a pretty interesting word, or, or it really means joined in hypocrisy. It's, it's a verb from actually classical Greek language. It's from the stage of, of, of Greece. And what would happen is that an actor would go on stage, and they would not wear makeup, but instead they would wear a mask. And the mask would have a frown or a smile And you never saw the person because they were hiding behind this mask. How many people today are hiding behind a mask in this congregation? The essence of hypocrisy. You want others to think something about you, but you know that on the other side of the mask, you're really someone else. 
That's hypocrisy. And so what is the mask they all joined with Simon Peter to hide behind? They hid behind the, the, the mask of hypocrisy of Judaism. And you see, what it is is not by what they say, it is by what they went around doing. All of the Jewish believers sided with Peter, and by their actions they would put their mask on in front of their face, implying that they were agreeing with the Judaizers, and they had come in saying they were from James. Look at verse 14. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, when I saw is a beautiful word there. It's the word edo, which means to perceive something clearly. When Paul stepped back, he saw what they were doing. Everyone else was just milling around. They could not see the difference, but Paul had the discernment of God that he had given them, and he realized what they were doing was contradicting everything that they were teaching. Why and what did he discern? That they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. Now, Paul says they were not walking in a straight line according to truth. You ever had to walk in a straight line? And Maybe that's not a great question for you. <laughs> you know what happens when, when police do a sobriety test? They make you walk. They make you walk in a straight line. That's what Paul, in essence, was saying to them. Listen, it's almost like you're drunk. What what do you mean? You ever seen someone that's drunk and can't pass that sobriety test? It's it's almost comical, and yet it's heartbreaking too, isn't it? Because that person shouldn't be behind the wheel. Listen to what Paul says. And later you're going to hear this because the contrast would be a drunk who staggers and never walks in a straight line. But he's basically saying here, if you go to chapter 3 in Galatians, and we're going to get there, the, the, the word and the question he asks is, who has bewitched you? Who has put you up underneath a spell? You act as if you're drunk. You do not even realize what you're doing. You're not walking in a straight line. You're causing Peter. You're causing all kinds of dissension and division. So Paul says to Peter, If you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like the Jews? Wow. Peter, you're a total contradiction to everything that you are saying. If you're going to be a Jew, if you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you're going to compel these Gentiles to live like the Jews? Boy, I mean, I like the Apostle Paul, don't you? Man, well, look at the second thing. Because now this is a situation that called for strong rebuke. In a church, in the life of a church, you've got to really be careful what proceeds out of this pulpit, what proceeds teaching-wise. You've got to be careful what's being taught in your Sunday school classes. You've got to be careful what's being taught in your small group connection classes. We live in a day when there's a lot of heresy out there. It can have 95% truth in it, but if it's got 5% heresy in it, listen, it's all heresy. So we have to be very, very careful. The second thing I want to show you is this. Paul makes some serious observations. These are serious, so we need to hear them. Listen to what he says in verse 15. We are Jews by nature. Now, I think he is still talking to Peter. But he is writing the story, remember, 
for the Galatian church. So in a way, he's talking to both of them here. This is after the fact. I think he's going back. He's rehearsing the story, but he is making, a very, making it very germane to what is going on in the churches in southern Galatia. We are Jews by nature. It's easy to understand. Basically, here's what he's saying. We were born of Jewish parents. We did not have any choice. We were born that way. Did you have any choice in who you were born to? No. I remember a few times... My sister, I have a sister that's six years older. She's, she's very mean. Um, no, she's really not. She's a sweetheart. But being six years apart, there were times when I thought she was mean because, man, she would do things to me. You know, like, I mean, y'all don't understand. Preacher's kids probably are, are just as normal and sometimes even more uh, normal than other kids. But she would, she would boss me around. And she would push me around until I got a lot bigger than her, and then I showed her who was boss. But <laughs> growing up, she used to say to me, Alan, Mom and Dad got you out of a slot machine. <laughs> I remember, what, I didn't know what a slot machine was. But I finally, I think at about age four, I said, Mom, what? a slot machine where'd you get me at? sissy told me that you got me out of a slot machine and oh man Gillian, come in here what in the world you? and then she started telling me and it, listen if i'd been adopted i would have been happy to have been in that family but she said no really they adopted you and they don't know where you came from <laughs> and i believed that for years and so finally in my teenage years finally i, I sat my mom down and i said seriously really where did I come from? And she said, where do you think you came from? I said, I'm just asking. I really want to know. First of all, it was a slot machine, and then I was adopted from nowhere. Where, where? She said, you are ours. I didn't have any choice in that. My, my five children didn't have any choice that, that, that I'm their parent or their step-parent, but I would tell you this. This is so plain. This is so plain for Paul to say to Peter and to even say to the Galatian church. It's so interesting. The Jews, you got to remember, thought that the Gentiles were all pagans and sinners. In fact, the Jews referred to the Gentiles as dogs. And they basically had nothing to do with them. Now look at verse 16. This is so powerful, ladies and gentlemen. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified, and the word there is diako, by the works of the law, the word justified means this. You don't get anything else today. Get this. The word justified means declared righteous. And justification has to do with the acquittal of the guilt of sin. Paul says, Peter, we were born of Jewish parents. We grew up as Jews. We grew up under the law. But the law could not justify us. The law could not declare us righteous before God. No way whatsoever. Look at what he says in verse 16. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith, through pistis, in Christ Jesus. Oh, I want to say to you this morning, if you are doing things for God and you think he is aware of it and somehow you will get brownie points with him, I'm telling you that those things you do will not justify you. They will not declare you righteous. Works never justify anybody. And here's the passage. Paul says, even we, it has got to be through faith in Christ Jesus. 
He says, even we, Peter, you and me, we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified, declared righteous by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Wow. Do you understand what's taking place in this conversation this morning? Two of the most religious Jewish boys you could ever find. Paul is trying to get him to understand all of that Judaism. All of the works of the law did nothing to save us. He says, Peter, don't you remember? I was just over there in Jerusalem, man, and you affirmed it. Have you forgotten so quickly? Listen, since by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Peter and Paul came in the same way, came up the same way, grew up the same way, but the way they came into the kingdom was not by the works of the law. It was by faith in Jesus Christ, not the law. Now comes Peter's, or excuse me, Paul's strongest observation. Look at verse 17. But if we, while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found. What's the next word? Hello. There you go. I thought y'all had already gone out to lunch and left me behind. How, let, me, let me just ask, how could they be sinners? How could they be sinners? They're, they're good Jewish boys. Paul says this in Philippians, as to the righteousness which is in the law, he had been found blameless. Paul asked, is Christ then a minister? And the, the word minister there is where we get the word uh, deacon really from, diakonos, diakonis, diakonos of sin. May it never be. He didn't just say it, may it never be. He says, may it never be. Hmm. What were they asking? What were they seeking? They were seeking to be justified in Christ. At some point in their life, they realized it was not going to go this way. And so what, it, what is the way? Christ is the way. Justified is in the aorist passive, in the Greek language. Passive means somebody has to got to, somebody's got to do it for us. We cannot do it ourselves. Man cannot justify himself while seeking to be right with God. Do you realize what he is saying is everything we ever did and called it right in God's eyes, God saw it as sin. God saw it as sin. Now, if you don't think that doesn't knock down the door and the face of religion, you're not understanding what Paul is saying here. There are many people who think, well, I give a tithe. I give an offering. I went on a mission trip. I sing on the worship team. I come to church as much as possible, at least twice a year. I do those things. I own a Bible, Pastor. Doesn't that make me a good person? You're not a good person. The Bible says there's not... Any of us that are good. There's no man born on this earth as a good person. I can give you scriptural reference. And you say, well, that, that's not going to draw people. I'm not trying to draw people. I'm trying to get them to the Savior who will transform their lives. You see, a rock concert can draw a crowd. I'm looking, yeah, I'd like to see a crowd. But I want to see a crowd of people who are looking for the exchanged life. Listen to what he says here. Is Christ in a minister of sin? May it never be. What Paul is saying, if you are going to side with the Judaizers, Peter, you are telling the Gentiles that now they've got to become circumcised. They've got to go back up under the law. 
by your actions, you're going to go back under becoming a religious person. If, if that, and then he says this, if that very law that you want to put them back up under, if that very law did not save us, and that every good work that we did was sin, then you are making Jesus a minister of sin because he is taking sinful works and putting them on the Gentile people. And then Paul's, Paul says, may it never be. Now, look at, look at the next verse. Look at verse 18. For if I rebuild what I once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor, a sinner. Man, the word destroyed there, which means utterly destroyed, but not to cause cause it to cease to exist. It, it is a different word, though, in this instance. It's the word katalua in the Greek, and it means to cut loose from something, to cut loose something that has been binding you. Now, I don't want you to miss this. Peter, by your signing and standing and siding with the Judaizers, by your coming back up under the old works, by hiding behind the mask of Judaism, what you have done is you have rebuilt what was once destroyed. I did not see this for years and years. When I used to study this, in fact, what the words I just gave you, uh, the word destroyed there, I always translated or always thought it was translated apaloma, which means utterly destroyed, but not to cause it to cease to exist. But it is a different word. I've, I've discovered that is, is the word Catalua, and it means to cut loose from something, to cut loose something that has been binding you. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ cuts us loose. I want you to get this. We are free. We are free. We're not caught up into religion. I cannot help it, but my heart was overwhelmed by that because when you bow before Jesus Christ, he cuts you loose from what has been holding you into bondage. That is what Paul is telling Peter. Peter, you don't want to go back and you don't want to put those handcuffs on, buddy. You have been set free from a religious system. Hallelujah. You have been set free from condemnation and control of the law. Why would you want to be under the law? You, want to, you would be rebuilding what, what has once been destroyed. You've been cut away from it. Well, let me ask you a question. Have you rebuilt what was once destroyed in your life? I had. Would you rather have a set of rules? Would you rather feel like you're accomplishing and accomplishing righteousness, or would you rather receive it by faith? Have you rebuilt what once was destroyed? We do not do what we do in order to be pleasing in God's sight. We do what we do because we are already pleasing in God's sight. Some of you have to catch up with me now, because some of you are looking at me like, what did he just say? But what I just said to you is very truthful. Some of you think, oh, I got to do this, I got to do this, I got to do this so I can be pleasing in sight. You are already pleasing in his sight. I want you to know you are deeply loved. He loves you. But, but the verse that Pastor Doug read a while ago, he loved you in your worst condition. He loved you in your most sinful condition. Ladies and gentlemen, we don't do the things that we do in order that he'll love us. We do it because we love him. We do it 
because we are already pleasing. That is the message of grace, but the message of law arouses our old flesh nature, and if you don't think you have one, you are deceived. It stimulates us into that performance mentality and attitude, and we want to rebuild what was once destroyed. I wonder how many believers here this morning claim to be a believer, and perhaps you are, but you are miserable, you are judgmental, you are condemning of other people, and no one really even wants to be around you because you have rebuilt what once was destroyed. Go back up under that law. Oh, my goodness. Well, I got to show you the third word, and then I got to... I got to get to lunch with you, okay? Paul finally had a single obligation. I want you to get this. Paul kind of backs away and he says, Peter, I cannot speak for you anymore. I'm just going to speak for me. And look what he says in verse 19. For through the law I died. The Greek word there is apollonesco. To the law. I died to the law so that I might live to God. Much better translation is, for through all I did die that to God I may live. He is very forceful in this declaration. He died to the law. The verb died is an aorist active indicative. You all know what that means, don't you? It means this. It happened at a certain point in time. Active voice, I made a choice. Notice what Paul is not talking about, what God did to him. He's talking about what he himself did. Paul made a choice. You either live by the law or you live by grace. And Paul said, I chose to abandon the law. The message of grace is that Christ, the God-man, did for us what we can never do ourselves under, for ourselves under the law. That's the message of grace, and that is what Paul is explaining to Peter. Why would you want to go back and try to do what has already been accomplished by Christ? Do you believe in the accomplished work of Jesus? Amen. It is finished. It's done. It's, it's completed. Everything that needed to be done for us to experience a relationship with Jesus Christ, it is finished. It's done. Now, Jesus said, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish it, but what? To fulfill, the word there is plero, in a sense of fully accomplish it, how? As a man in the likeness of sinful flesh. No one, no one can fulfill the law, but Jesus came as the perfect, sinless, spotless son of God, son of man, to accomplish what mankind could never have accomplished under the law. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, Romans says, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Now listen very carefully. Peter, Paul, James, John, all the Galatian believers, all the believers after the cross. We could never accomplish what the law demands or requires, but Jesus came and did it for us. <laughs> he is the one who lives in us and who has accomplished what the law demanded. Did he do away with it? No, he fulfilled it. Christ fulfilled the law. Freedom from the law does not mean freedom to live any way I want to live. Christ in me and his grace now gives me the freedom to become what I ought to become, 
under the message of grace. Freedom is not the right to live as you please, but the power to live as you should. That's what it is, ladies and gentlemen. For through the law, I died to the law, and for people who think this is a passive message, please, you have not finished the verse in order that I might live to whom to God. Do you realize what Paul just said? If you place yourself back up under the law, you're not living unto God. You're not living unto God in his grace. That performance mentality is nothing more than pure religion, and you can find religion all around the world, but when you live unto God, you abandon that old performance mentality, and you come as you are a person who is willing to walk by faith. And then he says in Galatians 2, 20 and 21, and I cannot wait to get to this next week, I have been crucified with Christ. They turned away from the law. What did Jesus do? He was crucified, and Paul was crucified with him. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live. The old religionist is gone forever. But Christ lives in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. If you think you can do something to please God other than bow before him, ladies and gentlemen, you're already pleasing to him in Christ. You are most deceived. Paul says, if there's one thing that you can do in your flesh to please God, then Christ died needlessly. And we all know in this room, he did not die needlessly. When I look at this, I wonder how many people have gone back, just like I had, and rebuilt what was once destroyed. I think back of the many years, oftentimes frustrated, people never knowing it, oftentimes standing in front of the mirror on Sunday nights in our bedroom and saying, God, I can't do this anymore. All the while, Jesus was saying, let me be real to you, Alan. Live the exchange life, Alan. You have rebuilt all of this. And I want to tell you, folks, that in the last eight years of my life, I have experienced the joy and the love of Christ and the freedom that I have of being who I am, who Christ loves. And I've, I've just been set free and I want you to experience that. I want you to know that the world oftentimes is at war. And sometimes we're there too. But there's peace in my heart. There's joy in my heart. Oh, I get tired. You know what I'm finding out? At 62, I get tired a lot easier than I used to when I have 14 and 15 hour days. And I have a lot of those. But I want to tell you that I don't plan on rusting out. I plan on burning out. I plan on going full tilt because this Christ that lives in me, I want to share him with everybody. I want people to know that I love them and that Christ loves them and that I, I want to share the gospel, the urgency of the gospel. I want folks to know there's joy in my heart. I want folks to know who is in control. 
I want to be a prayer warrior. I want to be someone that, 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 that just lives it and loves it and knows it. That's the walk of grace. It's the exchange life. I'm so glad that my dad taught me this song, the old hymn, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me. But then there was Chris Tomlin that adapted that song, and I, I love the way he adapted it when he said, my chains are gone. I've been set free. I want you to walk out of this building today. If you know Christ, I want you to walk out in freedom. And so if somehow you have crawled back up under that law, this morning I'm going to ask you to get in the altar and crawl back out and say, Lord Jesus, I can't. You never said I could. You can. You always said you would. And I want you to say, Lord, give me that freedom that you gave Pastor Allen in 2012. Because you see, it's not, it's not particular to me. He wants us all to live that way, not I. He wants us all to be Galatians 2.20. Not I, but Christ that lives in me. Bow your heads with me. Close your eyes. I'm going to ask you to start coming in just a moment. In fact, I'm going to ask you to stand.